0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we saw that the disciples of Jesus, which, by the way, includes all believers, past, present, and future, are blessed. Not only that they will be blessed in the future, although they will also receive future blessing, but they are, in fact, now, presently, at the time that Jesus was preaching this at the Sermon on the Mount, They are blessed. The righteousness that they hunger for to overcome the sinfulness that they mourn because they are poor in spirit is now theirs in Christ Jesus. Therefore, they are blessed and therefore you are blessed because all of this that Jesus pronounced in the Beatitudes, these blessings that he pronounced are yours. Now and in the future. Now we come to verse 13, moving right on through chapter 5. And remember, from chapter 5, 5, 6, and 7, or all of these chapters are the Sermon on the Mount. So this is one continual discourse that Jesus gives us. In light of you being believers, blessed with a righteousness that is not your own, but that which was won by Christ Jesus, you are salt and light. In fact, you are salt and light. In reality, you are salt and light. It's not that you have the potential to be salt and light. You are salt and light. That's what Jesus is saying. You are indeed salt and light by Virtue of God's creative power in Christ Jesus, by which you have been redeemed. You have received the gift of faith and you are now salt and light. You'll recall last week that I uh, mentioned that when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verse seven uh, sorry, chapter seven, verse 29, we see that Jesus taught them as one who had authority. So this entire discourse is one in which Jesus is teaching the people and teaching us as one who has authority to pronounce and declare these blessings upon us. Make no mistake, the pronouncement of blessings upon you is a bold declaration. It isn't your good works earning blessing. After all, it's the poor in spirit who are blessed. And these words of blessing to scandalous people are scandalous words, especially to those who would earn their own righteousness through their keeping of the law. I say keeping of the law because they weren't actually keeping the law. They were keeping a form of the law, sort of, but they weren't keeping the law. In light of this bold proclamation, you can see how some people would thus conclude, the law is over, R.I.P., law of God. You never could save me, so, so long. To this potential response, Jesus then adds these words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not come to abolish or to destroy this word here, could better be understood perhaps, destroy the law. God has not changed his mind all of a sudden, decided that the law is of no import. Mankind has seen that God's law could not be met. This is the entire experience of Israel who doubted God, even when they saw his mighty hand deliver them from Egypt, part the Red Sea lead them by a pillar of fire, and so forth. Yet they never could meet the demands of the law. Even those who had seen and witnessed this firsthand, God's mighty hand delivering them, but they never could really satisfy the demands of the law. So must the law be usurped? Is that the only way by which anyone could be saved? Perhaps if we lower the demands of the law. But no, Jesus says, don't dare, don't dare do that. Not even, don't even relax the littlest, seemingly insignificant part of the law. Don't even relax that. Not one iota, not one little dot is to be taken away from the law. He says that he has not come to destroy the law, nor has he come to reduce the law's demands. The law stands. But what he has come to do is fulfill the law. He has come to do what only he could do, which is to live the perfect, sinless life that you and I can't live, and then to take upon himself your sins, and to take them to the cross and to suffer and die so that he could redeem you and redeem me. This is what it means for him to fulfill all of the law and the prophets. Lest there be anyone remaining who thinks that they might possibly achieve righteousness by their keeping of the law, Jesus will now, in this Sermon on the Mount, He will now proceed to expound upon the law and to teach them what the actual demands of the law are. Because some of them thought, yeah, we're keeping the law. Think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, hey, what must I do to be saved? And he said, oh, you know the commandments? Honor your father and mother, obey the Sabbath, so forth. And the guy said, oh, I've done all that. Oh, have you? Have you done all that? Oh, okay. Well, just one more thing, Jesus said. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, when Jesus Christ issues a a command, even just a split second of doubting that command before you go and do it all, as he said, even that split second of doubting it is sin. See, That's why the righteousness cannot possibly come through the law. And if you think you're getting righteousness through the law, guess what you've done? You've taken the law of God, which is up here, and you've shrunk it down here to a place where you can maybe sort of reach it. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. Don't don't shrink the law. And what he's going to go on to do for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is talk about this, and we'll come back to this next week, because we are going to come back to this text next week as he goes on to expound the law. In verse 20, though, here from our reading today, he introduces this subject of the law and what it actually requires. And he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes. They were the law keepers. Boy, they had a law. They, they had restructured God's law and made it in such a way that they could follow and keep every little law. And it wasn't 10 commandments. It was like 562 commandments. Uh, that's, don't take that number literally. I don't know the actual number. But in saying this, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, is Jesus teaching us that we must have more righteousness than the best law keepers of his day? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying you need to like dial up your righteousness so that it meets the level of the scribes and the Pharisees and then even go beyond that? Whether or not you've seen the 1984 movie, This Is Spinal Tap, you will benefit from a simple illustration from that movie. Have you all seen, has anyone seen that movie? Raise your hands if you've seen it. You don't want to admit that you've seen it. Okay. The movie is a rockumentary. Okay. Or it's a mockumentary also. It's it's a story about a band, a rock band that's making a comeback tour in America. And it's a story about their comeback tour. And they are like the typical the sort of stereotypical rock band with all the debauchery that goes along with the rock band. And, and they're, you know, they're uh, not exactly totally there mentally because of a life of pretty much abusing themselves. Um. And it's, I say it's a mockumentary because the band is not a real band. The band is supposedly called Spinal Tap. It was just a band constructed for the purpose of the movie. Anyway, there's one point where the, uh, the, the host of this documentary is questioning one of the band members. It's the guitarist whose name is Nigel Tufnell. And Nigel Tufnell reveals to him one of the secrets of their band's success. And that is this special amplifier they have. And the dial on the amplifier goes all the way to 11. See, most amplifiers only go up to 10, but this one goes to 11. So (laughs) the the documentary host says, well, does that mean it's louder? Well, yeah, it's one louder. He's like, well, I mean, it's just a dial. I mean, couldn't you just make 10? Louder, like a bigger amplifier, more wattage, and so forth, and just make the 10 louder. And in, in like dazed bewilderment and confusion, Nigel Tufnell says, But this one goes to 11, you know? <laughs> so 11 is the, the number. Well, I mean, of course, it is a ridiculous notion to assume that a stereo is louder because the dial goes to 11, you know? It's, it's absurd. It's also ridiculous to assume that we must dial up our righteousness all the way to 11 so that it exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And of course, that's not what Jesus is teaching. He is not teaching you to dial up your righteousness to 11. <clears throat> He's telling you that in Him, you already have a righteousness that surpasses that of even the most adherent lawkeepers of his day which were the scribes and the Pharisees he's saying your righteousness as a contrite humble sinner who confesses your sin your righteousness is greater than that of the most adherent lawkeepers this is the righteousness that paul wrote of In Romans three, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah buttresses this point. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? These are the words of the Israelites whining and complaining that they are keeping the law and God doesn't take notice. Look, we're doing all the things we're supposed to be doing. And God doesn't take notice. And God's stinging rebuke through the prophet Isaiah follows, which is basically indicting them for fasting as a pretense. Fasting has been turned into their system for teaching uh, or for reaching God by their law keeping. Fasting, which should weaken and humble their sinful flesh, instead is being used, or so they think, to elevate them to the point of spiritual maturity. Surely God will hear me now, they say. Yet God says, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. It's not through our keeping of the law. It's through Christ's keeping of the law. And that's the righteousness that we we yearn for. And that's the righteousness that he promises to us. We have before us two qualities of righteousness. The one uh, that, that is that of man And then we have one that is that of Jesus Christ. Blessed are you who despair, despair of your own righteousness and instead have turned to Christ for his righteousness is yours now and forever. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.